Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Light of the East is also funded by a grant from the Koch Foundation. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyal, your host. And I have a question for you. Do you think you are a saint? Do you think you can become one? Do you want to become one? And one more question. If you have children, do you ever ask them, how do you think you can become a saint? Maybe some of you do, but perhaps many of you don't think about that or don't think you're worthy of it or it's not possible for you. Well, today in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, this is the Sunday after Pentecost, which makes it the Sunday of all saints. Now, the Feast of Pentecost was kind of sandwiched in between this Sunday and the Sunday before Pentecost, which was all souls. Well, actually, it was the Saturday before. It was all souls, where we commemorate all those who have gone ahead of us who have died. And in the Byzantine tradition, we refer to those who have died as the saints with a small s, not a capital S. We're not saying that they're officially saints, anybody who died. But the presumption is that if they were baptized into the life of the Holy Trinity and they lived that life in as much as we could see, they were faithful people, lived in the life of the church, buried in the church, received the sacraments, and so on. We consider them to be saints. Now, this is a small s, meaning they were part of that community of people, of persons who were initiated into the very life of the church and the life of the Holy Trinity and lived it as such. And that makes a certain community, both here on earth and also in heaven. And so we refer to them as the saints. In other words, faithful people. We don't know what any one person's judgment is. I mean, we can know if somebody is a saint. We know they're in heaven when they're declared a saint, and they're declared a saint in part by the testimony of miracles that cannot be explained any other way except by some miraculous intervention by someone who has died and gone on and whom we believe is a saint. Usually it takes two or three examples, irrefutable examples of this intercession, miraculous intercession, and then they are declared a saint. So they, they are the people that we know are in heaven. But anyone else, we don't know for sure. We could have a good hunch, a good sense 
And hopefully, and well, maybe most of the people we know, we can have a certain reasonable hope that they are there. Not assurance, but a hope. In the end, we'll all find out, of course. But we have a reasonable hope, and we always pray for their souls because we do not know anyone's judgment, except, of course, like I said, if they are, in fact, canonized saints, proclaimed as such by the church. We can have a reasonable hope, but we continue to pray because we love them. If we want the best for someone, and we should want the best for someone we love, then the best they can possibly have is to be in heaven with God forever, with the communion of saints, both small and capital S. And so what do we do? We want to make sure of that. What's the best way we can at least try to make sure, make a contribution to a certainty that they're going to be in heaven? Our contribution is by praying for them, praying to God directly, and also praying to the intercession of other saints and the Blessed Mother, that this person's soul is in heaven with God, and one day their body and soul will be reunited, gloriously transfigured in heaven with God and all the saints forever. So we're always praying. That's the sign of our love. We never say things like, oh, well, they're in heaven now. I mean, that's what we hope for, but you can't say that and shouldn't say that because that actually, believe it or not, that may sound nice, but it can actually be a little bit insensitive or uncaring. Yeah. Because if we are sure that they're in heaven, then we're not going to pray for them and they need our prayers. We should be praying for all the loved ones that we knew, our friends that have gone on to the other side, to the eternal life. We have to pray that they are in fact enjoying eternal life eternal bliss with God. Their souls are at rest, awaiting the resurrection and reuniting of their bodies with their souls in the end. So to pray for someone is to love them, is to offer to them the greatest gift we can possibly offer. We want them in heaven forever, and we want no doubts. So we plead to God. In the church, through the liturgy of the church, its prayer, its Eucharistic liturgy, in other words, Mass, for those who are of the Western rites, we actually pray for the deceased at every Mass, at every liturgy, and beyond that, and we do it over and over again in the divine office, in the liturgy, the Mass. And the church is very, very conscious, very devoted to prayer to those who have passed on to the deceased, our deceased, especially our deceased relatives and friends. We have five times in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, five times when we pray for our deceased relatives and members of our parish. And the priest, the deacon, as they're doing the litany for the deceased persons, they actually mention their names out loud. We forget no one. We mention every name out loud in our prayer, five times during the week. We actually have five all souls or we call it all souls, but it's really the prayer for all the departed. One of those, the one that happens before Pentecost Sunday, is the one in which we pray for all the deceased, all together, anyone who has died. Isn't that compassionate? We think of people we don't even know, and we're praying that they all went to heaven. We want everybody to go to heaven, even people who we think are bad, even people who we think deserve punishment. And let's be honest, sometimes we almost wish they would go to hell. Sometimes we even say it. But we should pray and want the salvation of everybody, especially the worst persons, or who we deem to be the worst persons, because this is what God wants. He died for everyone. Jesus Christ died on the cross, went into hell, broke the bonds of death of Satan, raised us up at his ascension, mounted our nature 
on the throne of heaven with him, sent the Holy Spirit to animate us with God's own presence. I mean, what else could he do? And he did that for everybody. He just didn't pick and choose people he liked or you and I like. He did that for everyone. He wanted all to be saved. And he gives people a chance to the nth degree. That's why sometimes you wonder, why do bad people, seemingly bad people, live so long? Even the Bible asks this question. Well, I think the answer is that God gives them every chance to repent, to become a saint. And it is possible to become a saint, even in a very short period of our life. In other words, when we are near death, it can occur. It can happen. But what is a saint? I'm often asked by people, do the Eastern churches have the same saints as the Western churches? In other words, does my church as a Byzantine Rite church pray to or include in our list of saints the same saints as in the Latin Rite church? Well, many of them are the same, many, but many are not. Many are particular to the Eastern churches, just as there are saints who are particular to the Western churches, and then there's an overlap. But a saint is a saint, whether East or West. And a saint is not a perfect person. A saint is someone who reached a certain level of authentic humanness. Because to be a human, fully human, is to be a saint. See, the definition of the human person is a saint. Holiness is what God intended for us from the beginning. He created us as saints. In Adam and Eve were saints. They were holy. They were perfect. But they abused their gift of free will. And so ever since then, of course, we have to struggle to become holy, to become saints. Now, we never look at ourselves. I asked you the question at the beginning of the program, are you a saint? Do you think you're a saint? It was a little bit unfair because if you think you are, we're not supposed to admit that about ourselves. In fact, the greatest saints always looked at themselves as the greatest sinners. That's why they were saintly, because they had such an idea, a sense of their own unworthiness, their smallness, their sinfulness before this magnificent, glorious God. And so they shed the most tears, even though they were the most holy people. So we don't judge ourselves, but we should aspire to sanctity, which means we aspire to being fully human. That's what a saint is. A saint was not someone who was perfect in everything. A saint is not someone who made every decision perfectly. It seems to be a little trend today to kind of knock or doubt some of the recent popes who were declared as saints, like John Paul II, Paul VI, and so on. And this tendency is, is really misplaced, because I think what's happening is we're looking at these popes, these people declared saints, we're looking at them in terms of, well, a saint is a perfect person. Everything they do was right and perfect. They didn't make any bad decisions, what we would consider to be bad decisions. They were always right and perfect. And that's wrong. A saint is not a perfect person. A saint is a person who has reached that level of authentic humanness, authentically, fully human. The best version of themselves is what a definition of a saint is. It doesn't mean they were perfect in all things. In fact, the saints tell us that saintly people can actually be very easily duped. Now, they may be very wise and prudent because of their holiness, but at the same time, they can actually be duped because of their holiness, they're going to be more trusting. And the devil's going to send people to them. They're going to be much more clever 
to fool them. A lot of people today blame recent popes for the nomination of certain bishops or cardinals that maybe the people think are not good. Well, bishops, popes, saints can be duped because they have purity of heart. They're very trusting. When we come back, we'll talk more about sanctity on the Sunday of All Saints. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church. We need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $20 or more, which includes shipping and handling to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you This is Archbishop Salvatore Cordiglione of the Archdiocese of San Francisco, and you are listening to Light of the East. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's taborlife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyal, your host on this Sunday in the Byzantine liturgical calendar of the Sunday of All Saints. It comes later in the year in the calendar of the Latin Rite Church, but today is our Sunday of All Saints. And looking at saints and aspiring to be that, what we're asking ourselves to do, what we should ask ourselves to do, and we should ask our children, we should live by this one question. How can I be the best of myself in this moment? Every moment. It's like little beads of a rosary. You string together moment by moment, pretty soon you have a whole rosary. You have a whole rosary of a holy life. If you live each moment like a rosary bead in its fullness, to be fully present, fully engaged, fully reflective. In other words, it's called being self-possessed. You're aware of yourself. You're in control of yourself and your God conscious. And so in every moment, we seek to be that best version of ourself. 
And as we do that every moment in little tiny ways, we can do it in greater and greater ways, sometimes very, very, of course, heroic ways. So the saint is a person who, being fully human, was always God-conscious, always self-possessed, always aware of themselves. Not perfect. Saints were the ones that actually went to confession the most. You would think, wait, why? They're, 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 they're saintly, they're holy. That's precisely why they went to confession a lot. Because as you grow in holiness, what happens is, it's kind of an interesting, almost contradiction, as you grow in holiness, you become more and more aware of your own imperfection, your own sinfulness. As you grow more and more aware of God, you have a clearer and clearer vision, a more intimate sense of God. The more we see ourselves, as the saints did, so small, so unworthy in light of God. If you could go on a rocket ship and go out to space and keep going in the direction of the sun, the closer you got to the sun, the greater you would see it and the more you would be aware of just how vulnerable and nothing you are compared to the sun. It's the same thing in the spiritual life. For those that are growing in the spiritual life, awareness of their own imperfection is actually heightened. Now, their imperfection may not be great. We're not saying that someone who's aspiring to sainthood is a terrible person, does terrible things. But for them, even the least little thing is magnified because they so want to be the best of themselves. They so want to please God, to imitate Christ, to become intimate with God, that anything that gets in that way is going to be for them a big deal. And that's why they would repent. Think of your car. Let's say you get a brand new car. You get a little scratch on it. Oh, you look at the car like, oh, it's so damaged. This is so horrible. My brand new car, it's got a little scratch. It could be like two inches long. But you look at that car and you almost think it's ruined or you react to it that way. I mean, we all do. Usually that happens with almost anything new. So they've got this little scratch in your car and you're mourning over that scratch. Even though the rest of your car is perfectly fine and shiny and new, you mourn over that scratch because it somehow takes away from the perfection of your car, of the appearance of that car, that perfect car. Same thing we get merchandise at a store. So you buy a beautiful piece of furniture. There's a little tiny tear in that piece of furniture. What do you do? You take it back because it's not perfect. You wanted it perfect. And that little tear dramatically takes away from the perfection, the newness of that piece of furniture. It's very similar in our spiritual lives, at least to the saints it was. The little imperfections for them take away from what they believe was their being the best of themselves. So a saint, a person on the road to holiness, has a heightened awareness of their own nothingness, their own sinfulness in relation to God. Which brings me to what is the most needed, crucial virtue in our world today. It always is, but this, I believe, is, is something that we're more in need of today than I think ever before in history. Something that did mark the saints, something they strove for constantly, and that was genuine humility. Humility is the opposite virtue of pride. That's why it's so important and so elusive, because pride is the mother of all sins. 
In the Eastern churches, the seven deadly sins are actually eight deadly sins. Of course, that's a little bit longer in the church. It's always a little extra in the Eastern church. The Laterite church, the Western church, has the seven deadly sins in which they put pride at the top of the heap of seven. The Eastern churches put pride at the bottom of their heap of eight deadly sins. Both are doing, and this is a wonderful example of the complementary, the both lungs of the church working together. They're both arriving at the same point, but coming at it in different ways. The West puts pride at the top because it's the mother of all sins. The East puts it at the bottom because it's saying that even if you overcome or master all the other vices and replace them with virtues, you know, like anger and gluttony and lust and so on, in the end, pride will still remain. That's why they put it at the end of the list. So both ways of arriving at the same point of making the point that pride is the mother of all sins. And that's what we have to strive for to overcome if we want holiness. Humility is that pride. What is humility? You know, we've lost our reference point for humility, I think. We are taught by our our world today to be very, very self-centered, to look at ourselves in a way that it's much more grand than we should see ourselves. St. Basil the Great talks about anger, and anger is related to pride. And he says, you know, we get so angry all the time because we always feel that something about us is being intruded on and we think too much of ourselves. We all carry around in ourselves this thought of how dare someone do that to me? This comes out very easily in the famous road rage that we see so much of road rage. How dare that person do that to me? I will get even with them. And that's what anger is. Anger is the desire basically to get even. Now, anger has a good character to it, but that's maybe a topic for another program. But what we're talking about here, focusing on is pride versus humility. Humility comes from having a more authentic awareness of ourselves, that we're sinful, imperfect, We really deserve nothing. Everything is gift to us. We can claim nothing. And we don't put ourselves on a kind of a level where we think that nothing can ever happen to us that's unjust, that nothing will ever happen to us that we don't want, that things will always be on our terms, that we can never be offended. No, not me. How can that person do that to me? I will take vengeance. I will get even. Humility takes it. I'm not talking about abuse. That's a whole different thing. I'm talking about it takes a lot of hits. In fact, that's a very definition of the word humility. It comes from the same word as hummus or humus. It's a very rich soil. And how does that soil become rich? Those of you who may be gardening, especially this time of year, will know it becomes rich by taking on a lot of waste of garbage that decomposes and turns into rich soil. Isn't God wonderful that he can come up with that? It accepts garbage and turns it into gold, into rich, fertile soil. And that's how we're supposed to be in our spiritual lives. We're supposed to take a lot of garbage, a lot of hits, and respond with forgiveness, turning to the cheek, with love, with understanding. Yes, sometimes we have to correct injustices. We have to set boundaries. We're not talking about being a a wallflower, a wimp, someone that can be abused easily, allow themselves to be abused, because that's not good to the other person. 
That's right. Humility also helps to correct other person if they're being abusive because you want them to become the best version of themselves. But it doesn't seek vengeance and it doesn't react to everything that seems to be unjust with that idea of no one can do that to me. How can that happen to me? It's deeply rooted in us. It's amazing how deep this form of pride is in us. And therefore, what happens after feeling that pride, the anger, the sense of vengeance, sometimes that can be carried on for a lifetime. Humility is the hallmark of a saint. When I think of a saint, I think of their humility in terms of how deferential they would be. And this is a very, very, very effective, useful, fundamental principle if you want a happy marriage. Happy relationships everywhere, but especially a happy marriage. Whenever I work with married couples, whether I'm preparing them for marriage or whether I'm helping to heal their hurt marriages, I work a lot on the principle with them of deferential love. And I show them the icon of the Trinity. Ever seen that icon of the Trinity, the Byzantine icon of the Holy Trinity? It uses three figures from the book of Genesis, the angels that visited Abraham, and their heads are bowed to each other as if they're deferring to one another, even though they're all equal, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's deferential love. It's like you're putting the other person first. You're apologizing a lot. You're looking at yourself a lot, taking a lot of onus on yourself. That's what a humble person does. And humility is the foundation, the very foundation that we have to work with all our life of becoming a saint. Becoming a saint should be our life's ambition, especially today on the Sunday of All Saints. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Hey, this is Doug Keck, EWTN President and Chief Operating Officer. This is Bishop Ferdinand Cherie, Auxiliary Bishop of New Orleans. This is Jerry Usher, co-host of Take Two with Jerry and Debbie. Thanks for listening to the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.